AI in healthcare is at a place where I would say uh, food ordering apps were 15 years not 15, I think 10 years ago. So nobody knew how a perfect uh, food ordering app looked like. So right now, if I if I ask you to build a food ordering app, you actually have context with Zomato, Swiggy, and Tiny Owl. You know, I mean, what are the screens that you need and all of that. So that has been solved. AI in healthcare is not at that place right now. Hi, and welcome everyone to this discussion on building AI products. As you know, we are hosting this on the Indian Startup Club, which is the topmost uh, startup club in Clubhouse in terms of members. So feel free to invite others who you think would benefit from this discussion to join the room by clicking on the plus button at the bottom of your screen. So I would like to start with an overview of the discussion. So we'll uh, have a discussion for the first 20 or 30 minutes so around what problem Cure AI is solving and how it achieves the problem solution fit. And then open up for some audience question, post which we'll dive again into the discussion and understand how to go about building AI products that users want. And then open up for audience questions for the final time. So with that start, let's start with some intros. I'm Pranjit Shah. I'm an AI practice head by profession with experience in building AI products across retail, healthcare and MLOps. I'm also the host of Deep Tech Musings podcast, wherein we talk to exciting deep tech startups and professionals. So be sure to check that out. Links are in my bio. With me today is Ankit, who is the senior product manager and founding member of Cure.ai, an AI startup in the medical imaging domain. So Ankit, welcome to the show. So can you start by letting us know a brief about yourself, starting from your education and research days, and then how you identified a problem to work on at Cure.ai. Yeah, sure, Pranajit. So first of all, thanks for inviting me to this chat and thanks for everyone for joining in. So education-wise, I did my B.Tech, M.Tech dual degree at IIT Kanpur. So I passed out in 2015 from ComScience. And during my college itself, I was quite involved with artificial intelligence and in fact, my master's thesis was actually building an OCR for Devanagari script. And that is how like my intervention with AI happened. Post that, I started a company called Crankout uh, along with four other co-founders. So it was into health and fitness space. We ran it for eight to nine months and unfortunately didn't do as well as expected. And then I met Prashant and Pooja and we started working on Cure. So talking about the early days of Cure, so, so we had an idea that we wanted to use AI in healthcare. We were not very fixated on where we can make an impact at those times. So after doing some market research and talking to some clinicians, we realized that radiology is something where AI can intervene and we saw in scope of making an impact. So over there also, we were, I would say for the first year, we were stuck in a chicken and egg kind of problem where we were trying to create algorithms where we, and to create those, we wanted to get a good amount of data. So we are going to hospitals and radiology companies and asking them to give us that data. But they were asking us to prove that our AI credentials are actually good through some algorithms. So we needed data to build that algorithm and people were asking us for those algorithms before giving us data. So what we did was we actually selected a set of six to seven problems for which public data sets were available. So all, almost all the founding members were working on one of the problems. So I picked up identifying brain tumors, head CT scans, and we worked on these problems for eight to nine months. And then we had something to showcase and we went to uh, we went back to these companies again and then we got access to some data. And then that's how like we identified which problems to work on. And we started sort of building the first algorithm. Got it. I think that's a classic problem in the AI space, wherein, and especially in healthcare, wherein data privacy is such an important aspect that you really get a good input into the user data unless you have a strong relationship and or you have proven yourself to the point. And the way you approach through public data sets, I think that's a very good approach of showing your province and then doing the work. Awesome. So let's also discuss, so you you mentioned six or seven problems. So one of them you mentioned, what were some of the other problems? Like, uh, can you highlight a couple of more? 
Yeah, so a couple of my colleagues were working on identifying interstitial lung diseases on chest CTs. Another colleague of mine was working on chest X-rays. Someone else was working on identifying systolic and diastolic volumes of, uh, on chest CTs again. So those were some of the issues that we're working on. Okay. And how did you ascertain a good business metric to improve upon while you are going about, you know, pitching these problems? Right, right. So, yeah, identifying those uh, pain points for customers and users is very important. So we identified a few metrics that, that can be impacted through AI. So one of them was, can we reduce the average time that a clinician takes to report on a report on a radiology exam? Can we reduce the turnaround time for that report so that the patient is monitored more effectively? An important criteria was, so for example, while we were working on identifying radiological signs of TB, we worked on a metric where we wanted to measure if the number of cases that were being identified of TB on chest X-rays got increased due to using AI. So we, we ran that study in, with one of our partners in Philippines and we actually saw that after using AI with chest X-rays, uh, so our product called QXR actually helped in identifying 25% more cases of TB when, I mean, compared to when AI was not being used at Got it. I think one implicit point which you have mentioned here while defining these problems and metrics is to have that early set of partners or customers or the way, like I try to call it a board of customers to because they are the ones who are defining in a way your path and sharing your journey. That's right, important. Right. Yeah, and if it's very important to get those first couple of, I mean, get good feedback from those first couple of customers, right? Because especially in B2B where you don't have, I mean, you cannot get feedback from 1,000, 10,000 people, right? So in B2B, I mean, if you have 20 customers and if five of those early customers are giving you empathetic feedback and helping you improve, so that becomes very important. So, I mean, thanks to our initial partners for being patient with us and help us make the product what it is today. Yep. It's priceless. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Now we have the problem defined. So what what was the solution that you proposed? And talk me through how you got about proposing a solution to it based on experience. Right. So, I mean, first of all, what we realized was why does AI in radiology can make an impact, right? So we did some market research around that and we realized if you look at the number of radiologists that are present in, say, for example, USA, right? So there are 100 radiologists per million population. For UK, it is 48 per million. For India, it's only 10. So there was clear need of radiology. And if you look at the radiology market, it has been like sort of increasing number of scans that are being done every year is increasing by 10% every year. Whereas if you look at number of radiologists, they are only increasing by 3 to 4%. So there was clear signal that technology is needed in this market. And then we proposed, I mean, using these metrics, we proposed that we, if we can use AI to sort of bring out and make radiology more efficient. So that can help a lot in bettering patient outcomes. We also, I mean, showed them how AI interprets images and what is the, uh, I mean, it's, it was not enough to just say that something is found in this image, right? So why is AI saying why that abnormality has been found became very important. So interpretability of AI was another thing that, that was important over there and we put a lot of stress upon. So those were the use cases. And as we got deeper into these segments, we realized that, I mean, even, even doctors agreed that the workload has been increasing and it will keep on increasing as imaging becomes more accessible and affordable. So yeah, technology was the solution over there. Got it. That's right. The problem was a really a pain point in that case. Right? And I think right. you also touched upon a point which uh, I like to refer as the AI problem fit. So how right. do you ascertain that AI is the right tool to solve the problem or that it will create a value? And I think it's very important when we technical people or data scientists try to attack everything with AI. So AI, I mean, sort sort of becoming a hammer that I mean people are using for every nail, right? So which which should which is not ideal. So first of all, like I mean, if very simple and very easy to see signal is if there is a volume and repeatability in a problem, right? If there is a huge amount of volume. So for example, take normal images, right? On that you upload on Instagram or Facebook, right? 
So, I mean, a lot of people are clicking a lot of pictures since cameras have come into mobile phones, right? And, and almost all of those people want to recognize things on those images. So there is volume, there is repeatability, which sort of signifies that AI can help in there, right? So, so that was one thing. Second thing was we already knew that AI works on identifying stuff from images. So if you look at the AlexNet paper that came out after 2010 and with the advent of GPUs and processing becoming easier and cheaper. So, so what happened was sort of we realized that AI can identify things from normal images. It can identify your friends. It can identify your family from Facebook pictures. Google Photos can identify your pets, beaches, trees, etc. from your pictures. So the only question was, can we take the same technology and can we identify diseases on medical images? So for in our mind, I mean, we were very clear that, I mean, AI on imaging works. The only thing to check was, does it work on medical imaging? And apparently the answer was yes. So there was one interesting problem where uh, we tried to use AI, but we found out that not using AI is actually more beneficial. So, you know, like when, when you're dealing with millions of images, there are millions of reports that accompany those images and you have to sort of tag these reports along with these images. So you have to find out, use among these reports. So for example, say tuberculosis, how many of these reports have tuberculosis? So you find out the corresponding image and you tag them with TV. And we wanted to read these million, millions of images, uh, sorry, millions of reports, bring out those tags and then assign it to images. And that was sort of a problem that looked like a good problem to solve through NLP, right? Natural language processing. And we used some advanced methodologies over there and we realized that it's not working properly. So then we went back and then we started building a rule-based system, which was much simpler. And we just, so basically, while you do sentiment analysis on tweets, right? So we did some sentiment analysis kind of stuff on radiology reports. And we just started creating those rules with whether this term is present in the report or not. And we realized that those simple rule-based systems started performing much, much better than AI. And so that, that was one case where AI as a hammer wouldn't have worked. So, I mean, it's very important to firstly identify the pain point that you are trying to solve and then do some research into whether AI is actually the right tool to solve it on. That's an interesting story. And that example clearly brings about the AI problem a dilemma that we were talking about. So, okay. well, uh, so that everyone is on the same page. So what are we extracting out of these medical images? Is it only the diseases that a person may have or is it something else as well? No, so you cannot identify diseases from images. What you identify are the symptoms of those diseases, right? So if, say, if there is cancer in the lungs of a person, then there would be something called as a nodule, which is, so if you look at a chest x-ray, uh, I mean, it's, it's a black and white image with the ribs becoming, I mean, ribs ribs and bones being white and the airbags or the lungs being black right so if there is a lung if there is a cancer developing over there so which is more dense than so cancer would be i mean that uh, tumor would be more dense than the lungs and so its sort of appearance will be very different from lung on that image and when it's very small it's very hard to catch on a x-ray and it's sort of harder to catch on CT scans because, I mean, CT scans have a lot of images. So there, I mean, you are using AI to identify those lung cancers early. So essentially, it's identifying biological signs of these diseases. Yeah. Got it. So another aspect which is quite peculiar to AI products and problems is to assess the technical feasibility of the AI solution early on, especially. Uh, can you shed some light on right. how you went about it at Cure.ai? Yeah, so technical feasibility is sort of important because, see, once you have developed an algorithm, you have to make it consumable, right? Uh, I mean, just just building AI algorithm is not enough. In fact, I mean, we like to say that, I mean, the best kind of AI is where you don't even realize that it's AI. So, I mean, for example, if you take your Gmail app, I mean, Gmail is automatically putting emails into your spam folders. Or if you look at your keyboard while typing, like you are getting recommendations for words automatically. So these are tools where you are not using, I mean, where you don't realize that it's AI, but it just sort of works. So we had the algorithm in first couple of years at Cure. The next step was sort of making it consumable. And that was a real challenge. So we, we ran a lot of experiments with a lot of customers over there. 
and so we built a telegram app after recognizing something so for example if a hemorrhage has been recognized in a head ct scan we would notify the radiologist on the telegram app with screenshots of those images so that consumability of ai became very important and then interpretability right so yeah you have to highlight why ai is saying what it is saying went around building applications where different medical teams can come together so if you take an example for lung cancer like there are there are mdt teams so basically it's multidisciplinary teams so clinicians from radiology oncology surgical sections come together and decide what's the best pathway for this patient so for them we built the apps and we gave them access to the radiological exams so all of that happened and yeah so Really, I mean, we put a lot of effort into making cons- I mean, AI consumable. So just just building algorithm is not enough. Like you have to make it very easy to consume, and you have to make sure that it integrates very smoothly, very smoothly in existing workflows of doctors. Got it. That's a very important point that you brought about. And uh, often we tend to ignore these end effects of the product, but this yeah. is what I think makes or breaks a product in many ways. And also yeah. the challenges also that comes while you are deploying or making your AI product available. I think you are mentioning one point about wherein the earlier process was going or taking the ambulance and going to a remote area and then doing right. the scan and all. Do you want to highlight on that as well? Yeah. So this is again, I mean, there is, so we deployed our QXR solution in, of, in the capital city of Philippines called Manila. So there a van used to start from the capital city and go into different villages. They used to collect x-rays of the patients and then come back in the capital city again after a week. And so then these scans used to become available to radiologists in the city hospital where the radiologist used to read these scans. So this used to take two weeks. And then after two weeks, patients who were suspected of were collected and the vans used to take the biological tests and they used to go back again to these villages, identify those patients, make them take the tests. And if they are found positive, then they were advised accordingly or given medicines accordingly. So this was for TB. So this whole cycle ran, used to run for four weeks. So there, I mean, we used QXR to intervene. So what we did was the same van which had the QXR machine, uh, sorry, which had the X-ray machine and had the computer where these scans were coming in. So we integrated our QXR solution with the same computer. And what started happening was as soon as the scan was right then and there, within a couple of minutes, QXR used to process that image and it used to give an opinion on whether the patient is showing signs of TB or not. And post that, I mean, immediately within an hour or so, the microbiological test used to be conducted and then this patient was advised accordingly. So if you look at the impact of AI over there, right? The whole cycle of four weeks got reduced to just a couple of hours and it helped identify 25% more cases. And it's another great impact was that, I mean, the disease was not spreading to more patients because it was identified four weeks earlier, right? I mean, imagine if, I mean, it's it, the disease is not confirmed for four weeks and the patient is interacting with his surrounding areas and other people. And then there are higher chances of disease spreading to more people, right? So, that was a, I mean, very highly impactful case for us. And it, it, it was also very satisfying like, to, to be able to create that sort of impact. Awesome. Sounds interesting. Okay. So let's continue our discussion, Ankit. So you have the problem and a solution defined. So I believe the next step was to now grow the team and build AI product team, right? So can right. you share experiences about that, how you went about it? Right. So, I mean, as a, product team, you know, like, I mean, firstly, you have to realize that AI is just another tool that is being used to create an impactful product, right? So the only difference over here is that because there is a component of R&D involved, so that brings a degree of uncertainty. So as a product manager, you have to account for that. Other than that, I mean, a typical AI product team will consist of R&D team members, design team members, engineering team members. If it's a B2B product, then there would be operations and sales. And apart from that, if there is, if you are like us in healthcare, then you also have to have that aspect of regulatory clearances. So there is a regulatory team that is at your that helps us out with getting our products cleared. So, yeah, I mean, apart from, I mean, like every other product team, we have different disciplines. And because it's an AI product, so we have an R&D team. And because we are in healthcare, so we have a regulatory team as well. Okay. What is your view about having pure play data scientists versus a machine learning engineer? 
Uh, do you think both are required or is it uh, not much? No, I would suggest... Nee, I would I actually believe that I mean these are very different roles mm-hmm. so doing AI research is more science and deploying AI models is more engineering and you have to have different teams to accommodate that especially I mean when you are uh, you are a four or five year old startup so during the initial days of cure we remember then when we had the first algorithm and we wanted to test it out at a hospital so me and one of my founding members we wrote an app in Python to sort of productionize it. And we deployed it at a hospital and it sort of worked quite well, the whole pipeline. But when things scale, then you realize that, I mean, engineering in its own is is a hard thing to crack. So you have to have those awesome engineers who can uh, get you product from X to 10X. Right. Well said. Okay. So let's dive into the aspect of building the product now that you have these problem solution and the team in place. Right. So I want to start with first with the data aspect. So can you highlight about the data requirement you had in the initial days and how did you go about building those data sets? See, as far as data is concerned, like, I mean, the more you have, the better it is, right? If you compare, say, a Google search engine with Microsoft's Bing, right? It's not like Bing doesn't have as good engineers and research scientists as Google. It's just not picking up because Google has so much more data on search results and what has been clicked, what hasn't been not in last 10 years. So the same goes with any AI algorithm. Like the more data you have, the better you will be. So in the initial days, I think the first version of QXR that came out was trained on around 100,000 scans. So since then, we have expanded it to be trained on 3 million scans now. So that's the sort of scale that is required to do AI in medical imaging. And then, I mean, challenges in getting those sort of data is, again, as I mentioned earlier, is the non-standardized nature of how data is stored, right? So that is that is a big challenge. And then getting those data points annotated when you're dealing with millions of scans, how do you annotate, how do you sort of attach the diseases with the respective scans and then how do you enable annotations for them uh, for interpretability, right? So it's okay. I mean, this disease is present in this scan, but where exactly is it present? So those kind of annotations take time. So we had to build internal products where we would upload these scans and then radiologists would work with us to read them and identify regions that were most interested. So there was, I mean, that's the most important challenge in building any AI product. Like uh, a typical data scientist will spend 30 to 40 percent of his time in just making sense of data, cleaning data and making it usable. So, yeah. Right. I was going to come to the annotation part next and you highlighted Mm -hmm. it. So what kind of annotations did you do? You mentioned radiologists would do it. Can you highlight that? So annotation is, yeah, yeah. So annotation is twofold. One is for a class, classification perspective where you need to say whether this disease is present or not. And that can be picked up from corresponding reports of those scans, right? So that is easier. I mean, that is a problem where I mentioned that rule-based systems work better than AI. The second part is segmentation. So, I mean, just saying that TB is present in the scan is not enough. Like you have to show why your algorithm is saying that TB is present. So for that, you actually need to manually mark out those images. So there we partnered with a lot of radiologists who came on board and we built this application where they could come see scans, annotate those data points with us. So it was, I mean, sort of a product in itself, like which which was just solving for data annotation. Yeah. And I think you would recall that Andrew NG is also coming up with his own product at Landing AI, which just which just does that single thing. It's uh, basically yeah, yeah, yeah. streamlining the flow it's, of annotations for yeah, yeah. computer vision. I think it's, it's based on automated annotations, right? So, um, right. I mean, the, yeah, yeah. Okay. And the, the fact that you mentioned you now have a data set of around 3 million uh, records. So that in itself is a, a quite huge number and a big moat for you, right? In case, and it's a very important point for AI products we tend to think about how to build modes and the data set itself is a very big mode. Yeah, data set is a mode and that is one reason why I believe that India and Indian companies can be at the forefront of this AI revolution because we have 
so many people we have cheap internet and we we have the kind of data that is re- needed to build up the ai algorithms so that's certainly a moat for cure but that is also a moat for india as a country so hopefully i mean our startups use that to their advantage and we see the ai revolution uh, happening with india at its epicenter well said Okay, next I'd like to discuss about your MVP. So can you tell me how was the first version of your product and how did you go about, you know, building up on it? Yeah, so the first version of product was very simple. So all we wanted to test was whether the algorithm is working correctly or not and wanted to get some feedback on it. So there were no quote unquote software or applications around it. So it was just a simple API where you can upload a radiology image and then the API would output for some findings. So right now, for example, QXR detects more than 29 findings on just X-ray. So we started with four or five findings and we just wanted to see if they are being detected correctly or not. So that API used to return a replica of that image. with those findings marked out on the image and doctors used to see them and confirm whether they agree with this report or not so that was the i mean the earliest version of qxr that we had okay and then can you shed more light on your development approach so what kind of approach do you generally take as you go about building the product is it more of uh, experimentation or of shipping and then iterating no see so, so ai in healthcare is at a place where i would say a uh, food ordering apps were 15 years not 15 i think 10 years ago so nobody knew how a perfect uh, food ordering app looked like so right now if i if i ask you to build a food ordering app you actually have context with zomato or swiggy and tiny owl you know i mean what are the screens that you need and all of that so that has been solved ai in healthcare is not at that place right now so people are building ai algorithms but how exactly do you fit it the existing workflows has not been figured out so currently we are at a stage where being nimble and being able to experiment fast is of paramount importance so that is something that we keep in mind while building our products yeah right okay and how do you go about prioritizing product features to be built through say various releases or various sprints across the development yeah so first of all like i mean we have very clear communication within the team and within the different parts of the team on building cons- consensus on what is the target of the product you know so if we are just starting out a product so all of us agree that we just need to build something which can give us insights on whether the functionality itself is working or not so what what doesn't happen is that i don't ask my design team after building that product or building that mvp and i don't go back to them and say that this is not looking top notch you know like you, that cannot happen so you have to be very clear communication wise that what is the target quality that you are approaching and then the i mean everybody from every team should sort of agree on that and then we achieve that so we run our sprints we follow i mean we we manage all of our features on jira Uh, we use those sort of tools but again i mean it's very important to remember the tools are there to help you help the team run better you know like it should not happen that the team itself becomes slaves to these tools and i mean managing jira should i mean not become a task in itself so so those are those are couple of things that we keep in mind and apart from that if you are especially in b2b right often what happens is that your com- competition is not other companies like your competition is actually inaction so it's not like i mean if somebody else is if you are not building a good ai algorithm i mean somebody else will build it and clinicians will start using it like clinicians can very well say that okay ai is not working so i am not going to use it i mean my existing workflow is working fine so feature wise you have to be very ruthless about solving an exact problem for the customer and so that means that you cannot i mean you cannot push around with the actual functionality but that also means that customers are more patient and forgiving about the quote and quote delightful features so as long as you solve a functional issue they are more than happy and patient with you to get the product jazzed up i love that term functional issue so yeah. i am also big proponent of having an end user stakeholder in the sprints i think right. that is of a lot of hassles uh, in the later stages and i don't see many teams doing that but i think it's especially more important in b2b where yeah, continuous feedback is very important yeah you you yeah. cannot cannot build for five abnormalities and then realize that 
three of them are not even needed for i mean for for that market so yeah so that that right. context is very important okay so next uh, once you have your first product i think that's qxr right right yeah which is for chest x rays right right okay so now once you have that how do you, and you have more products now in the line so how did you scale from one product to this multi product that scaling was not very hard for us because we learned a lot while deploying qxr and the second product was qer so for example when qxr we were actually understanding diseases and how to recognize them on chest x rays so we developed a very good understanding of what lung diseases are and how they function so the natural next step was to build a product for chest cts because we already understand lung cancer we have detected it on qx on chest x rays why not repeat it on chest cts and complete that whole end to end pipeline for lung cancer management so that was one thought and the other thought was uh, to get into more modalities so we were already working on x rays and cts and we wanted to get into ultrasound so there is a new product called pocus that will be coming up where we are using ai with point of care ultrasound so yeah so those were a couple of strategies and then as we deployed at more and more places and as customers became happier with using these ai solutions they themselves were coming back to us and saying that okay QXR is working fine why don't you do this for this modality or this body part why don't you detect fractures on ankle x-rays so why only chest x-rays so those sort of feedback was sort of self fulfilling and those ideas kept coming up it was only a matter of prioritizing which ones to build first so yeah our customers have helped us a lot in uh, making those decisions sounds good and the last aspect for today that i want to discuss is on the output side or when your model outputs are really getting consumed by the user how do you ensure that your predictions or outputs are relevant right. to the model which was built you know maybe prior to few months or a year right right so that's a very important question right so firstly i want to give a context on why it is very important for healthcare so if you realize the cost of making a mistake in ai right so suppose you are using google search and you search for something and the think that the link that you're looking for was not the first result it was actually the third or fourth result so the ai was not perfect what's the cost of that mistake almost nothing right i mean you still got to and even if you don't find the correct link it's not like you google is doing much harm over there that is not the case with ai in healthcare like you're actually dealing with lives and you're actually dealing with things that can impact patients so there i mean to be very vigilant about how ai is performing becomes very very important and that is something that i mean we have always followed through so we use a couple of approaches for that so before every deployment we we do constant check on how algorithms are performing on their retrospective scans so that gives us a good feedback on whether it is doing well or not then we have a daily online validation system where some 5 to 7% of scans uploaded to our api are read by a radiologist daily and they actually give feedback on how they are doing so that i mean that helps in monitoring the drift that algorithms are taking and then i mean you also have to keep in mind that the expected behavior of product changes based on geographies right so if you are detecting tb in high burden countries like india and philippines so it's important to keep the thresholding accordingly whereas if you are deploying it in germany where tb is rarely found out so then it's important to keep that in mind while deciding those thresholds and one more one more thing that we usually try to do is if we keep in mind that if we are going to err we are going to err on the side of false positives and not false negatives right so if a dp if a patient doesn't have tb and the algorithm calls it to be tb then he will get a microbiological test and it will be confirmed that he has in part tb but if you do the opposite so that's very very harmful and you have to train your algorithms and fine tune your thresholds in a way that you err on the side of false positives but never on false negatives sounds good that's a very important aspect that you brought about in terms of the metrics for ai development okay so ankit the thanks for all those inputs so finally i would like to take your view on advice for aspiring ai product managers and even like how someone who is into the tech tree how can he transition into an ai product manager right so first of all i mean you have to realize that when you are working on ai products you have to see ai just as a tool so i mean the product manager has to be focused 
completely on solving the pain point of the customer. And then, I mean, if AI helps as a tool, that's that's good. Coming to transferring from transitioning from tech to product management, so that is something that I have personally went through. So I worked on AI research, and then I worked on engineering aspects of your and then transferred into product management. So there, I mean, if if you care about the product enough, you know, in the sense that you are not satisfied with just writing the APIs and you actually care about how the customer is using those APIs, using those products, then then that transition is uh, the right fit for you. And when while you are transitioning, it's important to identify the blind spots that you might have and work on them. So for example, I knew that I have a very solid understanding of the AI research and engineering, but uh, my design sense was sort of not up to the mark. So that was a blind spot for me. And so I worked on it. I read books on design. I did some courses on it and worked with our design team members to get my learning on top of it. So that's 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 another aspect that you have to work on. Like what what yeah. background are you coming from? Yeah, what strengths do you have and what are the weaknesses that you have to work on is important. Great. And I think the important aspect is also that I prefer that product managers should have some technical foundation as well. In exactly. many product manager role, technical aspect is not uh, required. But I think an AR product manager should have a basic foundational exposure to machine learning and how machine learning development takes place. So that right, right. work with this development team in that perspective. Right. So I mean, as a generic PM also, you have to understand every discipline uh, of building a product, be it back-end development, front-end development, design, sales, etc., at least to an extent where you can converse with your team in their lingo, right? And if it's an AI product, then you have to understand that R&D to a point where you can actually understand what are the difficulties that your team is going through. Because it's important to understand that so that you can have empathy for your team members. And, and we regularly do that. So our research team and technical teams regularly conduct sessions where the non-tech team members come up. And it's sort of a lecture series where we explain about AI in non-technical terms. We explain about deployability of AI solutions in non-technical terms and educate each other. So that cross-learning has to happen. Awesome. Okay. So we have Dr. Shihad on the stage. Dr. Shihad, welcome. Please go ahead with your thoughts and question. Hi, thank you for organizing this session. Thank you, Ankit, uh, for your uh, product, which I have read a lot about it. It's making a benchmark in the AI, how AI can help the clinicians in managing some of the oncology cases. So just, I just, I just have a very basic question. Maybe I'm not a techie, but from a healthcare medical perspective, suppose if a clinician has uh, thinks that there are possibilities where there are a lot of data is coming in, if that data is properly mapped and analyzed, uh, it can give us a little more insight. Uh, I think I'm not calling a word AI or ML and all, but I think a clinician sees a lot of data. He sees a possibility of analyzing and finding an insight which will help a patient. So in that case, how do a clinician, where will he start the journey of that interface between a tech or an AI scientist? I mean, that's where lacking. When we talk to a developer, he lacks that. I mean, that interface, where do we begin that journey of, uh, if we have, if we find some interesting insight in the clinical journey, where do we start that interface between a clinical and clinician and the tech guy? Right, right. Thanks, Dr. Shah. Thanks for reading up on, on Cure. And this is a very nice question. What I believe is tech disrupting healthcare is just starting up. I think there is a lot to be done. And for example, Cure is looking at using AI for imaging, right? There is a lot of scope to do just on radiology reports. So as you mentioned, that there is a lot of data coming in. There are a lot of images. There are a lot of reports coming in. So... A typical startup idea can be that, I mean, you can create a company on sort of if a new patient comes and you have the symptoms that those patients has. So, and, and the data is sitting in the hospital of previous 10 years of patients. So can use AI or machine learning to identify reports with similar patients. And then you pick up the diagnosis of those patients and see what worked for them, what didn't. So all of these analytics can be done. The challenge I see over there is that the data that, is the way in which data is stored in various hospitals is not standardized. So that is a problem that we have also faced. But for doctors to get into tech, I would say, I mean, there are awesome online courses. So I would suggest, I mean, I started my journey with, with a course from Professor Andrew NG on Coursera. So it's called machine learning. So you can start there. And then there is there are some free courses on fast.ai, so which is, again, 
a great resource to start learning ml and ai so yeah i mean you can start there and having that context of i mean being a doctor you will have that clinical cons uh, clinical background and patient empathy i think tech getting a good sense of introductory sense of tech will be easy but if you want to go deeper into it i think i would rather suggest you get on a tech partner that can help you out with that side of things okay thank you and just an additional next i mean question to that so i see a lot of ai things are coming when it comes to radiology all right How, so right. i mean apart from that there are a lot of biomarkers when we do a campaign i'm talking about a couple of campaigns we did where we have the opportunity to collect the data the way we need right. suppose we did a, a chronic kidney disease campaign where mm-hmm. we have collected 10000 people's data offering a free uh, screening so i'm sure that if that data is analyzed beyond the capacity of a human analytic power it can find up interesting insight so these are biomarker driven not a radiology of course you have the image reading and other aspect but biomarker yeah. driven ai i mean i really don't under, i mean don't know where do i start i have a data of 10000 people i have done for the ckd screening for a different nationality i'm based in dubai yeah. so where we did a screening of uh, different nationalities and found some interesting we were expecting hematuria but we found a pyuria uh, so i mean i don't know where do i begin beyond data which is dumped in a proper format in an excel sheet that's the reason i thought i'll get some insight from you yeah so i think what i would do if i was setting on i mean such kind of rich data sets of 10000 scans so i personally know that there are a lot of freelance machine learning sci- engineers and data scientists that are looking for data that are looking for interesting problems to work on so if you can like get those data points anonymize remove all patient information and if i mean you can just go on kaggle so kaggle is a machine awesome machine learning community which hosts competition so you can put up that data on kaggle you can define the problem statement and ask people to work on data sets create a competition and i mean you will get a you should get a good response over there right people will attack your problem and find different approaches to solve it and then i mean you can, you will get a good technical partners over there i guess if if you find some someone that has uh, done some interesting stuff with your data points then i mean that that's your key to unlocking that and unlocking insights from those data sets sure thank you ankit thank you so much for that information thanks dr for your question and thanks ankit i think that's a pretty good point okay next we have ondrila ondrila welcome please go ahead with your question hi pranojit hi ankit this is indeed a very interesting session although i am not from technology background but this sector interests me a lot so i have a question for ankit which is healthcare is a highly regulated sector so how did you ensure compliance and you know uh, regu- that uh, regulatory requirements are built into your product right no so we realized that very early i mean if you are getting into healthcare you have to have those regulatory clearances for your t- uh, for your products so we have a very awesome regulatory team that takes care of that so we file for we get our products cleared by fda we go for c filings in europe we we make sure that an independent body audits our work process of working so we are hipaa compliant on that way so yeah all of those is taken care of. okay right thank you Yeah and I think uh, in healthcare ankit often that takes up more time than the actual product building. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I mean if to give you an example like I mean if it takes 12 months to create a product it will take at least 6 to 8 months to just get that regulatory clearance which is which is I won't mind because I mean you are actually impacting patients yeah. and people's lives right so it's it's good that, that those processes are in place now. Okay. Okay so thanks Anil for your question next we have uh, Pramod Pramod welcome please go ahead with the question uh, hi good evening so my question is that ai can be used in part of clinical things that is access that is understandable but is there anything that we can do in operation side logistics medical errors like medication errors by humans like nurses or the doctor so is it a possibility that we can develop a product on that i'm really interested in developing something logistics misuse medicines or drugs so i think those products will come in after you start getting your medical billings online right so right now i mean it's everything is on paper and it's that 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 data to build some logistic on top of is not there so uh, i mean companies like farm easy and netmeds have come in and are making that data digital and i think in two or three years i mean there would be companies that i mean 
maybe i mean these companies on their own will be doing analytics on logistics on, on top of that so once i mean the problem statement over there is how do you digitize that data before i mean analyzing it to get some insight so that is a problem that needs to be solved mm-hmm. thank you thank you yeah and if you're speaking up from the provider aspect promote so there are already like healthcare providers and the logistics and operations use cases there so there are already a lot of implementation at least on that aspect yeah on the side of clinical aspect i am aware of this artificial intelligence associated cardiac risk and uh, cancer risk related products but this is uh, purely on uh, administrative side like yeah reduce and like uh, your bottom then you can improve with the uh, arresting the disease right so are you speaking from the perspective of uh, say a hospital or a insurance player in healthcare or uh, it would be useful for for both like a hospital can overbill and the insurance person can identify with the product yeah at the same time hospital can also identify like you know bad apple in the system right yeah so there are a lot of use cases around that already being worked at i think hospitals and uh, insurance people are already have a good workbench for uh, data acquisition and so a lot of use cases there because uh, most of the there are still some government entities which are doing open bills no single end packages so in open bills there is always a chance for overbill right okay thanks for your question pramod next we have a doctor welcome please go ahead with the question hi everyone thank you Hi Ankit how are you I talk to Ankit good good how about you very good thank you it's not actually a question because we me and Ankit work together but i just have a comment and uh, just would like to draw the discussion towards that so i was like in a state of denial why i'm saying this is that exactly that like the state of denial that some of the radiologists are with ai in radiology and in general you know doctors versus uh, tech guys because there was a talk previously maybe a few years ago now it's probably less and less that ai is going to replace the clinical radiologist which is completely nonsense because you know this is all going to only help us as well as help the patients rather than doing anything else so my thoughts were you know we should actually get together more often which is you know the clinicians and the techy guys work together because ultimately what we all want to do is no matter how much investment you have in startups how much advanced technology used in diagnosis or treatment of patients if the patients are not benefited you know all this is going to be useless so the on the ground clinicians should work with the tech guys so that there is a streamlined approach to uh, care related to technology including ai and ml is what i think is going to be the way forward can exactly. i listen to your thoughts okay yeah sure dr venkat so i have a similar line of thinking on it like when you talk about will ai replace radiologists or is ai better than radiologists or is is it as good as that i mean i don't like that question because it takes away the focus from actual patient outcomes i don't care whether you call it ai or technology or software or whatever is the end user going to benefit from it or not is the only question so uh, i i will give you an analogy so take self driving cars for example right so people argue a lot on whether human drivers are better or self driving cars will drive better so i am not interested in that question what i am interested is how do we make our roads more safer so i don't know if self driving cars are going to be better than driver human drivers but what i definitely believe in is that human drivers armed with ai will definitely outperform just human drivers or just self driving cars and that is something that i believe will be true for ai in radiology as well ai will ai replace radiologists the answer is certainly no but radiologists that use ai will radiologists who use ai outperform radiologists who are not using ai i guess the answer for that that is definitely a yes so radiologists plus ai is definitely going to be better than just radiologists or in fact i mean radiologists are already using ai maybe i mean they are not realizing it so what i have seen is a lot of senior radiologists don't write their own reports right so they actually record their reporting through some app and then that app 
actually uses speech to text conversion to to make the word or text file of those reports so that has made radiologists much more efficient so they are actually able to focus more on the imaging and recognizing patterns in that imaging rather than writing out reports right the same thing will happen with ai in radiology so ai will actually take off the cases that are normal or i mean are, are don't have extreme emergencies in them uh, from their work list and they will have more time to spend on the actual extreme cases where the peculiarities are much more complex and subtle so yeah so i mean overall the answer is radiologists radiologists with ai will definitely outperform only radiologists and only ai absolutely and that is what i keep saying to all my colleagues and juniors that you know we all need to get at least a little bit of tech savvy rather than opposing it uh, embrace it and then see how exactly. it goes and you know when i use ai in my own practice like i'm using every day now i cannot go back to my previous years where there was no ai i feel that was really ancient and more importantly perhaps you know patient is going to be definitely benefited and sure. that's the crucial thing which we are all need to concentrate on we should all be patient centric whenever we right, talk right. about uh, a health tech startup yeah yeah and that's only for i mean uh, areas or countries where radiology is actually accessible right i mean there are rural regions in india or i mean uh, other low and middle income countries where radiology itself is not accessible so there i mean you will see the same scenario as has happened with mobile phones versus landlines right i mean mobile phones reached these rural areas if the government could actually give them access to landlines so will we be able to produce enough radiologists in next 20 years to meet that demand uh, that is highly suspicious because i mean it takes good amount of 7 to 8 years to get trained as a good radiologist right but i mean can ai sort of give a second opinion where radiology itself is not accessible so that scaling can be much faster but when you come to developed countries and cities in india where radiologists are actually present and they are accessible then there it becomes more of a use case of how do you make radiologists more efficient and how do you benefit patients by making that whole turnaround time smaller yeah absolutely agree with your thoughts and interestingly when you talk about this particular topic i cannot help but draw my attention towards a recent innovation talk in the uk where i was a speaker and they were just opening up the future world regarding what kind of innovations that you would like to see or envisage in the future say about 10 20 years from now so ankit what do you what do you envisage do you envisage radiology or healthcare ai to what extent can that go and when they put the question to me you know it all opened up like a fantasy like skyfi movie and there was really no limitations to the thought process that people were having uh, and in my view you know one realistic possibility which i could sense was can ai in radiology especially pick up other parameters like clinical parameters including things like age genetics body weight Yeah, you know numerous other risk factors to predict how much percentage of risk that the patient may have say for developing disease in the future say after 10 years from now and that was a very interesting talk that i was involved in ankit i want to listen to you what you think is the wildest possibility that you can think about so wild is actually a bit hard to predict but i definitely see radiology going the, the route of how how planes are being flown these days right if you look at what pilots do these days i mean for most of the time the plane is flying on autopilot it's only when i mean they are landing or they are taking off or there is some turbulence so basically the edge cases or the extreme cases where you need a human to hold the hands of the technology and guide them through it right so i definitely see that happening for radiology where the for example a typical radiologist is reading 30 exams in a day today right say 15 to 20 them of are normal eight eight of them are having common abnormalities and only one or two of them have some complex abnormalities right so if ai can take that 20 images off their work list so they will actually be able to focus on 30 abnormal cases so which means that essentially they will be reading 200 exams a day rather than just 30 exams a day which means the same amount of radiologists will be able to take 
10x or 15x amount of work which will make radiology accessible to every nook and corner of the world so that's my i mean that's that's actually what cures vision is to make healthcare accessible and affordable for all so that's definitely what i where i see radiology going in apart from that i mean uh, healthcare is i mean there are a lot of interesting companies that are doing trying to disrupt the way that healthcare is done right now i see so basically your technologies like oculus helping a lot uh, with doctors so virtual reality is something where i see doctors being trained to conduct surgeries rather than on real bodies so that is also something that is definitely possible and we will see in 5 to 10 years i want to say i wanted to add something can be very much useful in areas where the expertise expertise is not there like expert radiologist or a cardiologist who is not there in rural areas see whenever you see a abnormal ct scan even for corat score we were supposed to wait for 2 to 3 hours or sometimes 10 hours in my place uh, where i'm working now so we had that problem in the covid times so what i feel is that basic ai can differentiate from normal to abnormal then at least we can get the better treatment uh, for the patient could be of the acute um, like any respiratory distress is it covid or not something like that and also what you said is right like the doctor radiologist can focus on more complicated cases if suppose right. he has to perform a procedure he can uh, basically perform a procedure because he is the only one who can do that whether it could be a biopsy or something else right so interesting you mentioned uh, covid yeah sorry please complete yeah yeah so uh, especially in the times of covid second wave we were having a yeah. surge of cases every day like unable to differentiate whether it needs icu admission or not like two days doctor cannot uh, predict it okay radiologist was very much busy with so many other things strokes uh, and other uh, reporting structure and he was supposed to do procedures because i, I am working in so i have very right. shortage of experts so in uh, those areas this will be really useful especially in rmp he, he don't know how to read an ecg so if it is an mi he can just give the loading dose and uh, he can send the patient there, there are more chances of survival of this uh, that patient in other words what i think is there is a very good use case scenario for public health the use of exactly. technology including ai and ml it can really make a huge difference to a large number of people in one go and that is where the power can be utilized appropriately yes interesting that pranjit you mentioned covid right so i remember the first wave before it struck india right the city that was worst affected uh, was lombardy in italy and we had actually uh, pivoted qxr to identify covid in chest x-rays and we were the first ai company to be used for covid in hospitals so we deployed in lombardy and what we realized was ai is useful in identifying abnormalities but with diseases like covid the greatest value comes in monitoring the progression of the disease right so it's it's okay to say that whether the disease is present or not but during covid times like the scans for the same patient were done every other day on the third day on the fifth day on the seventh day and ai could actually quantify what percent of the lungs were affected with covid and how the patient and the was how the patient was being affected by the medication that is being given so whether the disease is progressing or it is diminishing so that quantification and that monitoring of progression when done in an automated way can actually impact a lot of patients so we we brought that algorithm to india also during the first wave itself we worked with bmc in mumbai to deploy the covid solution and that also had significant impact okay so that was promoted by the way but i hear you and i agree with you completely that often the major cost savings in healthcare is by reducing the severity vis-a-vis detecting the event right right so Dr. Venkata, thanks for joining and thanks for sharing your thoughts. So, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for sharing those inputs and for your views. I think that was quite interesting to learn about your journey and the journey of your data AI. Any final thoughts you have? Actually, I mean, I would just like to say that I mean, healthcare is is booming. Digital healthcare is booming more, and there is a lot of scope to work over there. 
Uh, in fact, even at Cure, I mean, product is some product team is one of the newest team, and we are also looking for smart people to join our team. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter. So yeah, I mean, I want the startup community in India to disrupt healthcare and disrupt it positively, so that we can make life easy for Dr. Venkat. <laughs> yes, certainly. Yeah. It certainly sounds an exciting team and an exciting product, and definitely urge everyone to read up more about it. And if any questions or anyone do, feel free to reach out to Ankit directly or myself. Okay, okay. Thanks everyone for your time today and for joining in. And thanks Ankit once again for sharing your thoughts and insights. Been great. I'm not afraid of